Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. You know, there's a lot of sayings that we commonly use in our culture that you might not have even realized come from the Bible. For example, how many of you have ever referred to people in authority as the powers that be? That comes straight out of Romans chapter 13. Here's another one. Maybe you, you did something nice for someone and you, you said it was a labor of love. Also from the Bible, that one out of 1 Thessalonians 1. Or maybe you uh, narrowly got out of a situation. You said, we escaped by the skin of our teeth. Ever said that one before? Also from the Bible, that one from the book of Job, chapter 19, or maybe you got a hold of some juicy gossip and you said, a little birdie told me. Also from the Bible, that one from Ecclesiastes, chapter 10. And uh, here's one you hear all the time, especially on the news. You know, when a, when a stranger does something kind for someone else, we call them a good Samaritan. That one is found in the passage of Scripture we're going to be spending the most time in today. That's in Luke 10. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, you could make your way over to the New Testament book of Luke chapter 10, and we are going to dig into this parable that Jesus tells. So let's begin with verse 25, and it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this begins with somebody who's described as an expert in the law. What was the law? The law was a strict set of guidelines that God gave to Moses in the Old Testament to, to teach the people on how to live separate from the nations all around them, as well as to help them to see, hey, no one person can ever follow all these rules on our own. That's why we need God. But just like you and I, the people back then thought, ah, we don't need God. We can do this on our own. We could follow all the rules if we just try hard enough. And wherever there was a rule that was a little gray, they invented a new rule to make it more clear. Well, over the years, the unintended result was a hollow religion that was more about checking boxes than transforming hearts. And so Jesus is out teaching, and this expert rule follower comes along to see if this new Jesus fellow knows his stuff. And so he says, all right, so tell me, how, how do I get to heaven? Here's what Jesus says. Verse 26, what is written in the law, he replied, and how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Don't test me, Jesus. I'm not just some yahoo on the street. I'm an expert. So how would Jesus respond to that? Verse 28, you've answered correctly. Way to go. A plus. You got it. But you know, Jesus wasn't going to let him off the hook that easily. He continued, do this, and you'll live. Not enough to know it. Now you actually have to do it. This guy had to feel defensive. You know, like, oh, oh, so you think I'm not doing it? Look, look at what he says, verse 29. He wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See what's going on here? What this guy was doing, he was trying to draw some dividing lines. In one category, these are all of the people that I need to love in order to be okay with God. And in this category, these are all of the people that I don't have to love and God will still be okay with me. You see, the Jewish understanding back then was neighbor meant other Jews. 
And so his answer to Jesus' question was, love the Lord your God with everything you have and love other Jews as you love yourself. And he half expected Jesus to agree with him. So Jesus decided to blow his box wide open. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now that road uh, between Jerusalem and Jericho was one that was commonly traveled by Jewish people, which means the man in Jesus' story is almost certainly Jewish. Now, these days, you could make that trip between those two cities in about 45 minutes over paved highways. I know because I did it. It's a beautiful drive through mountains and desert landscapes as you make your way down towards the Dead Sea. Back then, they obviously did not have the benefit of uh, motorized vehicles. They had to walk it. And this was a path that was fraught with twists and turns and caves and crags and all kinds of hiding spots for marauders. And so this was the kind of road you never walked by yourself, and you certainly never walked it at nighttime. The man in Jesus' story learned that lesson the hard way. It continues in verse 30. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. A priest was a Jewish religious leader. And in Jesus' story, he sees something up ahead, but I don't want to get involved, so he crosses to the other side of the road and keeps going. This would be the equivalent of you at nighttime in a sketchy neighborhood, sitting at a red light, and a guy with blood dripping down his head starts walking towards your car. What do you do? First thing you do is you lock the doors. And then the second thing is the second that light turns green, you peel out of there, right? That's similar to what the priest did in this story. Jesus continues in verse 32. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. A Levite was also a Jewish person from the tribe of Levi. And at first glance, it seems like he was better than the priest because at least he stopped and looked at the guy. Jesus says that he saw him, but upon further inspection, he was worse than the priest because now he had firsthand experience that there was a man in need and still chose to do nothing and walked away. Verse 34, excuse me, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, back in this day, there was many rabbis who actually used to teach their, their fellow Jews that if you ever came upon a, a Gentile woman or a, a non-Jewish woman who was pregnant and in distress, you should never come to her aid because if you do, you're only helping more Gentiles come into the world. It gives you a little bit of the mindset of the nationalism that was taking place. Samaritans were worse than Gentiles because they were half Jewish, but they didn't keep the customs. And so the Jews hated Samaritans, and the feeling was mutual. Samaritans hated Jews. They had a long and contentious history, and they pretty much just avoided one another. So you can imagine the controversy when Jesus picked a Samaritan to be the hero of the story. Jesus continues in verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? So now Jesus is putting this expert in the law on his heels. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it's obvious. Who's the one who acted the most neighborly in this scenario? Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, 
the one who had mercy on him, brother could not even use the word Samaritan. The one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. In other words, go act like a good Samaritan. And in the process, Jesus redefined the word neighbor. See, neighbor is less about ethnicity and more about mercy. It's less about where you live and more about how you love. And he forced this person to reconcile with that very question. Now, now what can we learn from this brief but powerful story from Jesus? Well, I think a lot of us probably relate with the expert in the law. I bet a lot of us probably on some level, maybe in different words, have wrestled with that question, who's my neighbor? I mean, who am I supposed to love? You know, in, in my interaction with, with many Christians, I, I think that circle starts with my own family. Now, th- these are the people I, I, I have to love. This is who my neighbor is. And that's great. You ought to love your family. I mean, there's some of you who would, who would lay your life down for your kids or for your parents or, or for your siblings. Your family is your first ministry, but your family is not your only ministry. Jesus calls believers to expand the circle. And so if we had to, I think a lot of us would probably feel comfortable with expanding that to friends. Okay, my, my friends are my neighbors. Okay, so if I have a relationship with someone and they're in need, of course I would help them. But if they were a stranger or, quite frankly, somebody I just didn't like, sorry, you're not getting anything from me. But Jesus still calls us to expand the circles. And so if we had to, I bet, I bet most of us would feel comfortable with, with saying, okay, well, my neighbor are our fellow Christians, the, the family of God. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with loving another Christian as long as they attend my church. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm okay with loving another Christian. I might not necessarily have a relationship and like him, but we believe the same things. We hold the same values. So, so yes, I, I will care for my neighbor in that regard. And yet Jesus continues to force us to expand the circle. And so again, if we, if we had to, I think we'd be okay with saying, okay, my neighbor are people who are familiar. My own ethnicity, my own culture. Maybe we share the same place of origin. Okay, so if one of my own people was in need, I'd be much more likely to help. But if I see someone who's in distress and they have a different skin color than me, I'll pray for them, but that's somebody else's problem. And I think for a lot of us, that is about as far as we could possibly stretch when it comes to loving a neighbor as ourselves. And yet Jesus calls us to expand the circle even further to the foreigner. It was no accident that Jesus selected the one people group the Jews were the most uncomfortable with to be the example in the story, the Samaritans. Outsiders, worse than outsiders, Samaritans. And Jesus said, yep, those two are your neighbors. Those two are the ones that you're called to love, which is why one of the last things Jesus said before he ascended into heaven was this to his disciples. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus said, okay, start with the holy city, Jerusalem, the epicenter of religious Jews. Okay, that's your neighbor, love them. But then I want you to stretch the entire land of Judea, all the rest of your people. Yeah, those are your neighbors too. We want you to love them. And also Samaritans, 
Those are your neighbors. We want you to love them. And hey, while you're at it, just keep stretching your arms all the way around the world. And as someone who lives in America, aren't you glad that someone took the gospel to the ends of the earth so that we could hear it here? That is the call of God. That is who our neighbors are. They are both across the street and across the globe. This is the mission of God. You see, when the, the love of God and the love of people are connected. The second flows from the first. That if you truly love God, it ought to display itself in the way that you treat others. This is God's mission. Unfortunately for a lot of us, we get this confused. We get God's mission confused with being a missionary. You know, missionaries, you know, the, the ones who move to a foreign nation and, and live amongst the people. That's great for them, but I could never be a missionary. Well, whenever you hear the word mission, mission trips, missionary, all of these come from a Latin word, missio. And quite uh, literally, it means to send. And this is what Jesus does for his disciples. He, he sends them. He, he puts them on mission. And in the very passage we were looking at, Luke 10, Jesus does this. At, at the beginning, he, he missios his disciples. Let's take a look. This is Luke 10, 1. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you. And that same command he gave to his disciples then extends to his followers of Jesus today. So for any Christian in the house today who said, I can never be a missionary, surprise, you already are one. Every follower of Jesus is a missionary. Here's another way to say it. If you are saved, you are sent. And God has sent his people out into the world. He has sent you into your workplaces. He has sent you into your classrooms. He has sent you into your communities. He has sent you into your homes. And God may even be sending some of you to the nations. If you are saved, you are sent. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of where. And it turns out that your neighbor lives all over the world. And so what does that look like? I mean, how can I truly love someone who, who lives so, so far away? How do I even do that? Well, I think there's a, a couple of pages that we could just take right out of the, the story of the Good Samaritan. Here's a couple of really practical ways that we could love our global neighbors. Here's the first one. See them. Remember what the priest did when he came along? He intentionally diverted his eyes so he didn't have to see the problem. And that's, if we're being honest, what a lot of us do. We, we don't want to know what's going on out in the world because then we become responsible with that information. All right. And so I think one major step that we could take is we could just educate ourselves to what God is doing in the world. I mean, you, you Google the best deals on, on buying a new television or, or the best deals on getting a new insurance package or the best restaurants. You know how to use the internet. Google global missions and start to educate yourself about what's going on in the world. We don't need to do what the priest did. Let's open our eyes and see. Here's another one. We could see them and we could serve them. Where the Levite went wrong was he saw the man and did nothing. 
But the Samaritan saw him and, and felt pity, compassion, which moved him to action. So what did he do? He personally served the man, put him on a donkey, got him out of harm's way, and put him in shelter where the man could heal up. Now, maybe God is calling some of you to serve the nations, maybe in a short-term capacity or in a long-term capacity. Not everyone can do that, but if he calls you to do that, will you say yes? And here's a third way. You could see them, you could serve them, we could support them. What did the good Samaritan do? He used his own money to pay for a room at the inn. And then he paid the innkeeper to provide further care and then promised to, to pay back any further expenses that were incurred. The, the Samaritan leveraged his personal financial resources to help one person in need. And that's something that you can do too. That is a very significant way of getting engaged in global missions and in, in loving our global neighbor. And this is something that I, I would love to see us make progress in as a church. And so when we've been talking about this giving initiative, we wanted to have a global aspect of this as, as well. Let me ask you a question. Show of hands, how many of you were at the food packing event we did about two years ago? Just go ahead and put your hands up, yeah. That was, it was a great event. We, across all of our campuses, we gathered young and old uh, from, from all over, and we packed food up to send to a village in a city in Kenya, Africa, called Kisumu. And, and while I was at the event, I had an opportunity to interact with uh, one of the people from the organization that was, that was behind all of this, who's on the ground in Kenya, and he began sharing with me kind of how they, how they use this food that we packed as, as part of a broader outreach strategy. So the organization is called Life in Abundance, and here's basically what they do. They go into places in, in, in Africa, even some in the Caribbean, and they find local pastors in areas that have a heart for outreach, and they bring them together and train them so that they could create sustainable systems to minister to the unique needs of their community. So in Kasumu, Kenya, 70% of the population lives below the food poverty line. Poverty is a massive issue there, and it's ingrained in the mindset. I'm poor, my parents were poor, my grandparents were poor, my kids will probably be poor. And it leads to, to, to cycles of, of hopelessness. And so what Life in Abundance does is they help train local church pastors to minister to the whole person, physically, emotionally, spiritually, teaching them that when you live with Christ at the center and you follow biblical principles of financial stewardship, you could actually break the chains of poverty. That, that the Christian faith is not just for the sweet by and by someday in heaven, it matters now. Here's a representative from Life in Abundance to say more about it. Check this out. You have to think about how these families come out of their current situation. Um, and I like to think of uh, the way Jesus Christ did it. There was dignity in the way he approached ministry. Um, think of this guy that comes to him and says, hey, son of David, help me. He didn't just come and say, hey, get, get healed or something. He asked him, what do you want me to do for you? There's an element of, I want you to participate in the solution. I don't want to be the one giving you the solution. And primarily, I think it's because um, just giving you the solution creates dependency. And dependency takes away dignity. And dependency is also not sustainable uh, over the long term. And so, yeah, we can't just give, keep giving them food. Uh, it's... It's far more beneficial to teach a man to fish than to actually give them fish. 
it's not easy to create a mindset shift from uh, asking for aid handouts, but we are really trying as life in abundance. Uh, we don't do it as life in abundance per se, but we go through the church structure. We, we have an interesting approach. We are not into just giving handouts which just end tomorrow. Our approach is that of empowering someone holistically. And what is the holistic gospel? We see it in Matthew 25. When Jesus Christ talks about, you know, in the end you'll come to me and I will separate the sheep from the goats. And he says to the goats, you know, depart from me, I never knew you. And he'll say, you know, I was hungry, you never fed me. I was thirsty, you never gave me water to drink. I was uh, sick and in prison and you never visited me. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. And they'll say, when did we do this? Or when did we not do this for you? And he'll say, whenever you did not do it for the least of this, you did not do it to me. And essentially, that's how we see holistic gospel. That it is not just telling people about, hey, get saved. It's more about, think about life in abundance. How can your life be changed? You know, so one of the things I love about this strategy is that it's, it's uh, holistic and Christ-centered, outreach-focused, and it's driven through the local church. And as we heard more about this, we said that this sounds a lot like what we're trying to accomplish at Sunrise through our Peace Center and, and things like that. And I had been praying that God would lead us to an, an overseas partner that was already doing a good work but, but just needed someone to come alongside of them. And so we were invited to travel to uh, Kasumu, Kenya, to see where the food was going, but also to see the strategy at work. And so last summer, I joined a small team of some staff and some spouses. We started here in Southern California and flew to the other side of the globe to Kisumu, Kenya. And upon arrival, the first thing that strike, strikes you is, is just how beautiful and warm the people are. I mean, their, their hospitality and love is, is off the charts. But after you get by that, you become confronted with the realities of everyday life. This was evident by the smell in the air. And as we walk through the dusty roads of Kasumu, Kenya, trenches line the streets that are filled with waste and trash. You know, I, I, I'm guessing that when, whenever you use the restroom and flush the toilet, you probably don't give a second of thought as to where all that waste goes. Isn't it incredible that we live in a society that's built above an intricate set of underground pipes and tunnels that takes our sewage to a wastewater treatment plant where modern day technology removes the contaminants and makes the water reusable? Most of the world does not live this way. There are no sewers in Kisumu, Kenya. These trenches are filled with waste and soda bottles and old garments. And you can imagine the environmental impact when it rains and these trenches flood. And so we continued to walk through these roads and we came back to a church where we met this man. This is Pastor Felix. Pastor Felix and I connected almost immediately. And he gave me a tour of his church and I started to feel convicted for all of the times I complained about our facilities, especially when you see these churches that are stitched together with wood and corrugated metal. And Felix began to share with me some of the struggles that he's had in ministry. This might come as a shock to you, but people in Kenya, they, they have a problem with their churches of people who just wanna sit in seats but never actually live out their faith. I know churches are so different over there, right? Um, and so, so he started to share with me about how his church just got stuck until they began partnering in, with Life in Abundance and receiving this training. Here's a part of Pastor Felix's story. I come from a family that uh, 
by the standards of Kenya, could be called a very poor family. Our houses were grass touched in the village. They used to use cow dung for preparing the floor. That's how poor we were. So when I grew up and uh, finished high school, I went to Narok. That's where I started working. That's not how, how my life started changing a little bit. It was while working in Narok in the year 1986 that an evangelist entered in my house one late evening and started sharing Christ with me. I decided to kneel down and begin crying in my house. The Lord saved me and filled me with the Holy Spirit that same evening. I enjoyed sharing the gospel, talking to people about Christ, getting people saved. And there were times God could use me even for miracles at that time, could pray for the sick and they testify they are healed. I never thought that I would one day even be a pastor because I saw pastors in the village and most of them were poor. I didn't have this big picture of even serving God and ministering and coming up to where I am. I did not plan to be here. But uh, in the year 2000, God called me for full-time ministry. So from 2000 up to now, he has been my provider. Then at that time we realized that we were focusing on spiritual things, just preaching and singing here. And then we were becoming noise, we were noise to the, to the community. Then we realized that we need to be relevant to the community. So after the teachings and the trainings, we valued the community and we started reaching out. And so Felix uh, gave us a, a, a tour of what exactly that reaching out looks like. And, for me, I had the opportunity to come and, and preach in his church on a Sunday morning, which is an awesome, memorable experience. Of course, the, the, the worship music was really powerful. I took a little video for my phone. Check this out. And it was probably hard to pull me out of the crowd, but uh, I was there, I promise. Um, <laughs> You know, it was, it was really powerful. Uh, you know, but the most powerful moment for me it was actually during the offering. So pastor uh, invited the people to come forward and bring their tithes and offerings, which, which many did. But there's people who just didn't have money to give. And they walked forward with a handful of dried rice that they just dropped into a bucket. That rice was going to feed children for a local outreach that occurred every Saturday morning called the Running Club. What this church found was that a lot of the kids were just sort of laying around and it was leading to depression. And, and so they want to get them moving and get them excited. And so they got them out, out running. It looks like we need to work with Paige on his breakaway speed. But, um, and so what they're doing is they're ministering to the kids physically, but then spiritually. So they start teaching them the word of God. And, and also as part of this, due to the offerings from all of the local churches, they provide a meal for these children. And for many of these kids, it is the only meal they will eat the entire weekend. And so what's happening is these kids are then going back to their parents' house, and the parents are realizing that the church cares for their kids. It's part of this holistic strategy. 
You know, Kenya's known for its world-famous runners. Who knows what superstars may emerge from this group that they're ministering to. And then our group was split up, and we were able to do various uh, street ministries and just going around and, and, and finding needs. And my particular group, we, we went off, and we had a chance to uh, pray with a woman who uh, was dying of cancer. And so we were invited into her home, which is literally the size of a coat closet. And we're all standing in there, and somebody told her that some, pa- some pastors from local churches were there to pray, and so they brought her in, and the, the cancer had ravaged her body so bad she couldn't even lift her head. And so her whole demeanor is slouched down, her eyes are closed, and so we get in there, and we're supposed to just kind of pray, and, and so Pedro was there, and he just, he just starts belting out this worship song. And as he's singing, her eyes start to open. Uh, but because she couldn't lift her head, now, my wife gets down on one knee to meet the gaze of her eyes and, and grabs her by the hand. The woman starts smiling. My friend told us this is the first time we've seen her smile in a long time. And my job was to pray. And I start bawling. Those of you who know me know I'm not a, an overly emotional guy. But I couldn't keep it together. I'm like, I don't even know this lady. But you know what I do know? I've held the hand of my own mother as she was dying of cancer. And God reminded me in that moment that people on the other side of the globe are as precious to Jesus as people under my roof. And so, <laughs> and as, we, as we wrapped up uh, praying for her, we then uh, went out and we were introduced to this lady who was selling fruit at a fruit stand. She was another beneficiary of how these local churches are training people holistically. See, what these local churches did is they pulled resources and came up with a central fund, and they, they make microloans to people. And so this particular woman is somebody who is deeply involved in the church and applied for this microloan by coming up with a business proposal of how she was going to sell this fruit. And so she used her loan to pay rent to a shop owner in a busy section of town uh, so she could set up, set up shop. So each morning while it's still dark, she goes off and she collects her, her produce and comes and sells it at that place for profit. And as we talked with her, she was getting close to, being, to paying off the entire loan in full plus interest. And then once she did that, she would then contribute back into the central fund to help others get a micro loan and is tithing to her own church and is making profit. And when they see that she, she can make a profit, they could offer her a larger loan. And she began sharing with us her dream of someday having her own uh, storefront. And the sheer fact that she was dreaming shows us it's working. You know, and so when, when we saw this in action, there's a strong sense that we really want to partner with them. And so the second aspect of this giving initiative is that our church is being invited to invest in a village in Kasumu. And that investment is both a financial one and a relational one. It's financial in the sense that we are going to be helping 50 different families uh, with, their, with education and uh, food for children, as well as uh, helping increase the microfinance loans that, that uh, people are able to apply for, as well as uh, even helping start medical clinics. And so that's, that's all included in the seven million dollar price tag that we're trusting in the Lord that, that we're going to see this, this, this church rise up and meet. Um, and in addition to this, there's a relational component. We want to connect 
uh, people from Sunrise Church with people in the churches in Kasumu to build relationships and, and to, to see faces and learn how they could pray for one another. And so if, if God has been stirring your heart for the nations and, and maybe there's something in you that, that is sensing you wanna be more deeply engaged on the Kenya aspect of this giving initiative, we're gonna be having an interest meeting uh, coming up this week. You can find the information on our website. It's gonna happen over Zoom so that all of the campuses can participate. And uh, we'll see what the Lord might do because in addition to this, this, this giving initiative, I really wanna see a team from Sunrise Church next summer travel to Kisumu, Kenya, and get on the ground with people and encourage and work and serve alongside with them. So that's something that we're, we're praying and trusting God for. Friends, listen. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're a missionary. If you are saved, you are sent but I fully realize that not everyone in this room or watching online is saved. Not everybody has called upon the name of Jesus. Here's the deal. That story about the Good Samaritan, that's our story. We were the ones beaten and left for dead by the side of the road due to our own sin. We thought the world was gonna help and it turned its back and just kept on walking and then Jesus steps in in our hour of need and he sacrifices to bring us to a place of restoration. And when Jesus died on the cross, he traded his life for ours. You see, what he gives to us is his righteousness or his rightness, the forgiveness of our sins. You know what he gets in exchange? He gets all of our wrongness, all of our sin. And that exchange happens when you place your faith in Jesus. Who wouldn't want to take a deal like this? And if you're somebody who's never called upon the name of the Lord to be the Lord of your life, to forgive you of your sins and to, and to change you from the inside out, the good news is we can make that happen today. In fact, I wanna ask everybody here and online, why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and just take a deep breath and consider where are you right now with Jesus? Have you given him your life? And if not, today is your day. So if you're ready to receive Christ by faith, then I wanna encourage you in the silence of your heart to repeat these words after me. They're just words, but if you have the faith, God will hear you from heaven. He will save you. So if you wanna give your life to Jesus, you just say these words to him in the silence of your heart. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. I believe you died in my place. I can't save myself, but I believe you can. And so today I ask you to be my Lord. Change me, rearrange me so I could leave my old ways behind and live a new life that honors you. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I wanna encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. 
That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.